Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com, would you be so kind as to do that today? And in fact, hey, we can go over to beenawake.com right now. If you're watching the video, you can see this. Whoops, didn't mean to shut the didn't mean to shut the music off so quickly. But hey, whatever. We're gonna get right into the show because this is take number three. Uh, because apparently OBS has some sort of timer put into it that I didn't change, and so it kept stopping the recording after thirty seconds. And I noticed that probably about thirty minutes into recording this episode. But anyway, I've uh, I talked about this on the recent episode I did with Two Bit. Do check out that interview by the way with those guys. It was a lot of fun. But this is the new redesigned binawake.com. So uh, if, you, if you're used to it, if you just click this big button at the beginning, it's going to take you right to the Substack page. Uh, but if you're a first-time visitor to the site, it'll tell you how to subscribe. It'll tell you where to follow me on social media, some recommendations of articles you can read. And hey, as a reminder that you can give me a one-time donation or become a recurring patron to you know, help me fight, to help me fight these, idiot, uh, these idiot writers and broadcasters out there that are leading people astray. Um, that's kind of going to be uh, a theme that we talk about on this show is how they, you know, that, that, that's, that's the, that's the big, that's, that is a big theme of the show is how they lie to you and you know, what, what the agenda is and why the agenda looks the way it does and giving it to you in a way that doesn't press the anger button. Uh, you know, I talked about that as well and it's, it is a big part of what I see as the, as the mission of this show is, 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 it doesn't mean we can't like I, I'm I'm upset about some of the things happening in this country, but you know I I've re I've I've given the show the tag for what comes next in politics, and what comes next in politics is not about what you or I actually want. This isn't the kind of show that you're. This isn't the show that you tune into for me to tell you about my lofty philosophical ideals in relation to the news. Those will be, you know, we'll talk about philosophical ideas in the show, but when we're talking about news analysis and we're talking about the way things are happening, I've adopted a different kind of philosophy. Where I think a lot of a lot of people out there, what they do with their show is they take a piece of the news and they say, Well, this is how it would work better if the people if people thought if everybody thought like me. And if everybody thought like me, wouldn't the world wouldn't this be such a better and e- wouldn't this world be an easier place to live in? That runs afoul of what I've kind of affectionately termed the secret knowledge fallacy, which goes a little something like this. I have a piece of secret knowledge with which I could run society better. And that and so set but my secret knowledge is what says that. Well, that's kind of silly when you think about it because like if that knowledge is so secret, why are, if if it's secret knowledge, why are you keeping it a secret? And if it's not actually secret knowledge, right, you just think it is because not many people have heard about the way you think society should be run. Well, then maybe there's another reason for maybe there's another reason why your why your secret knowledge won't maybe your secret knowledge won't actually help society run better. This isn't about lofty. This isn't about lofty ideals or or ideology. This isn't about exploring ideology. And in some respects, it's a rejection of ideology. 
That doesn't mean we don't have principles. That doesn't mean we aren't informed by a deep philosophical basis. But it does mean this modern idea, this modern concept of an ideology doesn't necessarily animate everything we do. We, what we do here is we look at the players on the board, we look at the way they move, and we look at the, we, and we look at the moves in front of them. We don't worry about we don't worry about perfection. We worry about what's happening next. And hopefully that gives you a better understanding of what's going on. So this is also going to be a slightly different format of an episode. Usually it's just me monologuing for the entire time. There's going to be some breaks because I've been releasing uh, I've been releasing Substack exclusive videos, which if you have this the app it would be the best way to recommend I'd recommend watching it. Of course, you can watch it on the browser on your computer as well. But on your phone, I'd recommend the app. It, 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 is, it is nice. You can download that. And there's a, there's a little thread area where you and I can communicate as well. But so, there's a, but so I've been putting out these Substack exclusive videos. So I know not everybody's seen them. Maybe you don't actually visit the Substack. Maybe you just maybe just have maybe you just subscribe to the RSS feed. So after we go through an article that I wrote recently about something that happened in Florida, and we talk a little bit more about that, we're going to go ahead and get into the videos. We're going to get into the videos that I did. And so those videos are about the spy balloon. So we're going to have some fun talking about the spy balloon, or at least remembering that. We're going to talk about why Matt Walsh is right about Dylan Mulvaney. And then we're going to do an analysis of El Salvador's mega prison that was just opened. But before we get to that, the first article, first uh, first story on the list is not shocking from binawake.com. DeSantis won't support a blogger registry. So what happened? Last week, in advance of, Florida, of the Florida legislature's upcoming session, a bill was introduced by State Senator Jason Brodeur that proposed creating a law forcing bloggers who were paid to write about government officials in Florida to register with the state. Here's some more details from the Tampa Bay Times. Brodeur's Senate Bill 1316, the bill requiring the registry of paid bloggers, defines a blog as a website or webpage that hosts any blogger and is frequently updated with opinion, commentary, or business content. The bill excludes the website of a newspaper or similar or other similar publication. Those who are paid to write continuing about elected officials in the legislature or executive branch, the governor, lieutenant governor, or cabinet members would have to file reports with the state offices that handle lobbying disclosures every month that they post. The report must include who paid the blogger for the post and how much the blogger received, the bill says. Those that fail to report to the state can be fined $25 per day, up to $2,500. According to statements from Berdur, he considers bloggers to be lobbyists, and the purpose of his bill is to mandate the disclosure of, quote, paid advocacy. Of course, this isn't the story you saw on Twitter or from national press outlets. Almost all of them included pictures of Ron DeSantis giving millions the false impression that he proposed or supported this bill. After he was able to review the bill, DeSantis had this to say to the Floridian press, quoting, Every person in the legislature can file bills. I see these people filing bills, and there are these articles with my face on the article. Bloggers are going to have to register with the state, attributing it to me, he said. That's not something I've ever supported. I don't support it. I've been very clear on what we are doing. So why did this happen? Well, in advance of every legislative session, bills are proposed by elective representatives. Very few of these bills will ever make it to a governor's desk, but journalists can use the bill proposals to either generate buzz or serve their agenda. 
It makes total sense that local Florida outlets would cover a bill like this, and the sources I found usually included the correct information about what the bill came from. You'll find this very often, that a local source, when you're dealing with state politics, is much better than a national source. By contrast, national outlets who are far more concerned with narratives than they are with facts saw this as another opportunity to take aim at the most prominent Republican governor in the country. Because DeSantis has opposed COVID tyranny and is now taking steps to, pr- to protect children from genital mutilation, what the Biden administration calls gender-affirming care, being pushed by, and this, this, you know, this genital mutilation is being pushed by radical ideologues, he is a target for the corporate press. So why does it matter? A story like this really is a flash in the pan. Last week, it was intro- the bill was introduced. This week, DeSantis said he doesn't like it. It's dead on arrival. So next week, the press is going to move on to another vector of attack, which, of course, they're already doing. It shouldn't surprise you that major press outlets went after DeSantis. What is surprising is the way that some personalities who allegedly oppose the left and democratic policy would use this as an opportunity to attack DeSantis. And that's going to be what we're going to get into in politics. The moral edge, the moral edge goes to the person you already agree with. It is not a marketplace. Let me repeat that. Politics is not a marketplace. It's not a marketplace where you get to choose between 30 brands of a similar product. In America, if we're lucky, there are two choices on a ballot. But most of the time, you're choosing between two versions of the same flavor. By contrast, DeSantis has shown a willingness to oppose the Biden administration when other Republicans refused, and he continues to push back against incursion from the cults of diversity equity, and inclusion. This, at least at this juncture, makes him an ally to liberty, which is to say those who choose to falsely libel his administration do the bidding of those they claim to fight against. Those who choose to do the... This, those who choose to falsely libel his administration do the bidding of those they claim to fight against. It seems pretty obvious why it's I think it's pretty obvious why the left, right? Why 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 like the Biden administration doesn't like DeSantis? Why Democrats don't like DeSantis because he's effective. And he's and what he's shown recently again like I said and specifically as it relates to the COVID policy was a willingness to go against the major narratives. Now we're now as I record this, we are about 3 years to the day of when your state was likely shut down, and that included Florida for a little bit. But what's strange, what's strange about the DeSantis opposition is the way that people forget that he was one of the first governors to break with the COVID tyranny. And instead, they just want to focus on the fact that he wasn't right 100% of the time. Nobody's going to be right 100% of the time. I'm not going to be right 100% of the time. Maybe 98.5%, 99.5%, depending on, the day, depending on how the crow flies. But I wouldn't pretend to be right 100% of the time. That's foolish. That's going back to how I opened up the show where I said, we're not here to talk about my perfect ideology and how, and how it would be better if I was in control or my ideology was the dominant ideology. That's that's silly. What I am going to do is look at politicians and the actions that they take and figure out whether they work, whether they uh, abide by my values or not. 
And in general, DeSantis has done a pretty good job of abiding by what I think a governor should be doing. He gave a recent interview. If you haven't checked it out, I would recommend it with Glenn Beck. I'll put it in the show notes below. Uh, but he did a recent interview with Glenn Beck. I'd recommend people check it out because you don't, it's, it's a long form, right? It's his podcast. So it's a long form conversation. And I was, I was impressed with the rhetoric at the very least, the rhetoric, if not what he, if not the beliefs of DeSantis as they were put forward in that conversation. Now, a lot of people want him to run for president. I think it's, I do think it's inevitable that somebody like him will run for president. It's just the way that the it's just the way the system is set up. However, I will say for the purposes of the show, just so we're clear, I think he would do much better for the country, the entire country, were he to stay in Florida, specifically through 2024. Because it make you know, so it makes sense why the why the corporate press doesn't like DeSantis. It makes sense why radical left elements don't like DeSantis. It makes sense that the makes sense that your average liberal just thinks he's some fascist unless they live in Florida. Because that's useful in most people and in politics, the moral edge goes to the side you already agree with. Which means, and most people, when it comes to reading stories, most people don't read an entire news story. Most people are just going to read a headline and then they're going to move on. If they read a story, they're going to read a story from a source they trust. And unless they're doing a show like this, they're not going to spend a lot of times cross-referencing and fact-checking what they're doing. Right? So, because mo- most people trust somebody in a position of authority to tell them what's going on. That's the way the human, that's the way humans work. It's not about your perfect ideology. It's about the way humans work on this show. So it makes a lot of sense why the why people like that hate him. But what I find interesting are the people who are either conservative or right of center who dislike DeSantis. And I find those people the most irksome in many ways. Now, I think the in the conservative camp of the tradition your traditional Republicans, those are mostly people who either find it beneficial to stoke up flames between DeSantis and Trump as the as the presumed front runners for twenty twenty four. Or for some re- or purity testing on the case of like the libertarian faction. But in either case when you're doing that, when you're trying to when you're trying to bring somebody like DeSantis down, you're doing the bidding of the left. You're actually doing the thing you oppose you you propose to be against. At least that's how it looks from my perspective. And if we really want to understand just how deep it goes on this, I think it's worth us looking at this recent video and we're going to do that before we get out before i get out of here and we go through the video the substack exclusive videos if we go through and we play a little bit of this um interview that was given that joe biden gave to the daily show now the of course the irony of something like this is that you know the daily show is supposed to be what comedy right but it's the kind of com it's it's such a well, but it's a corporatized comedy, right? It's a commo- At this point, The Daily Show is a commodity that corporate interests are trying to prep, uh, prop up, even though for a lot of people, you know, they don't really view it as funny or insightful. And certainly when you do puff pieces like this with the President of the United States, I don't really know why you would be considered anything but a, sto- but a, but a stooge of the regime. So we have Cal Penn, who's an actor, and apparently was a fill-in host on on the daily on the daily show and he uh you know he talked to Biden about gay marriage and what's going on in Florida so let's listen I wanted to I wanted to ask you a slightly different question so um 
My partner Josh and I have been engaged for the last five. By the way, I had no idea this guy was gay. Means that every auntie and uncle that I have is beyond disappointed that there hasn't been a wedding yet. But, uh, but Cardi B is going to marry us apparently officiate our wedding, which would which would be nice. But my my question for you, Mr. President, is you codified uh, support for same-sex marriage and interracial marriages like like ours. I'm curious what your evolution was like on marriage equality and what the federal government might be able to do to protect LGBTQ Americans, especially trans kids who are dealing with all these regressive state laws that are popping up right now. I can remember exactly what my uh, epiphany was. Okay. I hadn't thought much about it, to tell you uh -huh. the truth. And I was, a, I was a senior in high school. It would have been 1960-something. dropped me off. I remember about to get out of the car, and I looked to my right, and two well-dressed men in suits kissed each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss. And then one went, looked like he was heading to the DuPont building, and one looked like he headed to the Hercules Corporation building. And I'll never forget, I turned and looked at my dad. He said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. It's simple. No, I'm not joking. It's simple. They love each other. And it's never been... It's, 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 it's never been... Of course, Joe Biden would go in his... Senate career, right? And this is this is like the we let pop. This is this is what I'm talking about with a story like this, right? You're sitting in front of the president. These are clearly prescripted questions, right? Because this is um, this, the, it's it's worth making this point. I think you know a lot of people talk about Biden's cognitive decline, and a lot of people didn't think he was even going to make it through the ele the presidential election cycle of 2020. And I was certainly somebody in that camp. But then in the debates, he did you know he did okay. Right. And so a lot of people are trying to figure out why. And I think I have something of an answer for that. And I think that answer basically boils down to this, that one thing that we hadn't taken into account, people in the you know commentary sphere, or political analysis, is the fact that Joe Biden is somebody who has given speeches and written and read what other people have written for him for his entire life. Joe Biden was never an original thinker. Right. And I, I don't I don't that. That's not that's not like a criticism. That's just an observation. What he has done very well throughout his entire career is he's he's towed the party line. And so when that party line in the 90s, 30 years after this epiphany that he had that he never thought about right until this interview or something like that, 30 years, 30 years after he had an epiphany that it's OK for gays to get married or something like that, he was supporting the Defense Against Marriage Act, right? And don't ask, don't tell, and the policies of the Clinton because that was the, the policies that the Clintons were putting out there because that was the party line. So I think that's, I think that's something that we, have to, that we have to take into account. And, and again, we have to update our analysis. We don't just get to, we're, I'm not just, we're just not going to sit here and harp on the fact that he's old, even though it's fun to do sometimes. It's just that simple. It doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's same-sex or a heterosexual couple, they should be able to be married. What is the problem? So listen to your auntie and your uncle. Get married. Do it now. <laughs> Don't wait. Uh, transgender. Uh, that goes on to transgender kid, but you know, do it. You know, so then again, like I'm not, I'm not here to talk crap about Cal Penn. I wish him happiness and prosperity and all the good things in life. I guess I don't know. But 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 like but are we really going to sit here and think that this was a story that happened? And that's where it's like if you're a comedian, this is a this is ripe for opportunity. But that's not what the Daily Show is. The Daily Show is again a, a corporatized a corporatized product at this point. It's it's um you know where they spoon feed people with clapter 
uh, uh, the, the same information that you get on CNN and you get from the major press outlets. So now he's going to go and he's going to talk about transgender kids in Florida. Harder to think. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. What's going it's on in Florida like, is close you know, to sinful. Wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman. It's exactly what kids are doing, by the way. What, 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 what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love. They have feelings. They have inclinations. That are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're going to be held accountable. Thank you, sir. Uh, I... So, what the Bi- so, so what the Biden administration is signaling here is that they want to pass some sort of federal legislation to stop or to prom- well, well, to stop the efforts of people like DeSantis to stop genital mutilation of children. That's that's what that's what's actually going on here. The idea, you know, we've I've talked about on the show, we're going to get into it a little bit in the piece on Dylan Mulvaney and and, and in the piece of Dylan Mulvaney, I actually get into why trans is so important to the to, to the current um, leftist. Uh, well, not even the leftist to the goal. Trans is trans is integral to the cult of diversity, equity and inclusion for reasons that I'll get into. But I'll, what I'll say here is, of course, there are. Of, uh, the gender dysphoria in teens has oh has been an explored phenomenon, and as as it happens, most teens, if you let them go through puberty without 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 interfering in it, will be fine and very comfortable in in their bodies, right? Because adolescence is a time of change. It is a time. It is a time of chaos for humans. It is the process of moving from childhood into adulthood. We've kind of lost sight of that a little bit, given given the extended adolescence of the modern age, right? We have this new phase. It's, you know, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and we have extended adolescence in our current age, but that doesn't change the, that doesn't change the biological reality. So what the president is, the president is proposing in this very nicely, nicely flowered and flowery language is giving is allowing doctors to prescribe to children who say that they are the opposite opposite sex that they were born as is giving them the same drugs that we give to pedophiles to castrate them that that's happening folks we're talking about encouraging practices like breast binding which are which are regressive practices that are that are that are done in places like are done in certain parts of Africa, which is a very painful process whereby you wrap a woman's breasts so that they don't grow. And in, and if you're not going to bind, well, then maybe you want to go through a double mastectomy. And so the Biden administration wants us, wants to pass legis- federal legislation that allows doctors to mutilate, to, to give double mastectomy to young girls, to give cross-sex hormones, f- forever altering their bodies, Again, at a time of incredible confusion, as we as as a, as as a human being travels from or progresses from childhood into adulthood, close to sinful. What is sin? Well, sin is a transgression against God. It's missing the mark. <laughs> 
I'm not so sure Joe Biden's mother would say what DeSantis is doing is sinful. I think she might have some words about what her son is doing. And it and it and it and it's ridiculous to me that he can say this as the president of the United States and still be considered a Catholic. But that's the world we live in. But I think it's worth us asking the question against what God is it are we transgressing here? Right? Against what God are we transgressing here in this instance of trying to make sure we don't mutilate kids? It's a dangerous thought, one that we might explore elsewhere. But it's one that I think we need to um it's one that I think we need to talk about as we see this alignment between economic war, culture war, spiritual war, and unfortunately the ever looming presence of kinetic war. So I'm going to see you guys in the back half of it. We're going to go, like I said, through these next few videos. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk at the end of the episode. All right. What is up, everybody? It's LB Muniz from BenAwake.com. Thanks to everyone who's watching this, because if you're seeing this, that means you're a premium subscriber. And uh, I want to make sure I am generating content for people like you first. And I want to make sure you hear things first in so that you can kind of be part of this creative process. So I, you, you know, got myself a little piece of equipment to try and do quicker filming and I'm doing it for the first time now. So I, uh, I want to, so these are going to be stripped down, not a lot of production. We're going to maybe talk about stories. We're going to maybe talk about really anything that might be on my mind in a day that I think would be applicable to the mission of better sense making. How do we, how do we perceive the world around us? How do we interpret um, you know, the news, the, uh, the narratives, you know, what narratives are going to lead us to the best, uh, success in life. And so the story, I don't want to get too, so, so this will be experimental. Um, these might get put together in some kind of a premium podcast that goes out weekly. I might release these individually on the premium feed for audio listeners as well, but this is going to be, prim- this is going to start at least as a video because I don't know, people like video. Um, and, uh, anyway, so I want to talk about the balloons and it's what, this is always something I struggle with in terms of producing content specifically because some especially what basically happens is if you can, if you can figure out a good enough way of making, of, of interpreting stories and have, if you have a good enough foundation, you can understand trajectory, right? You can at least make a, you can, you can at least make a valid determination of the trajectory of something. And I'm not using that word unintentionally, right? Like literally that's something our minds capable are capable of doing. It's actually a complicated thing. If you think about it, that you can not only look, you can look at an object at various distances and figure out the exact speed and force with which you would need to throw an object to hit such a thing. Um, it's something I think it's something that's worth not mar- not spending a lot of time on, but it's important to remember that we are these complicated creatures, and I think that tends to get lost um or at least when at least we understand that in in like maybe some sense of like how to throw a ball, but we don't understand that when it comes to information and ideas, we can use that physical reality to better help ourselves in the realm of ideas, right? And thinking. So, you know, we had this story a couple of weeks ago of a Chinese spy balloon coming across the, uh, coming across the Pacific and, um, and, and, you know, making its, making its way across Montana, uh, and, and reportedly going over maybe some key military installations of some kind where we store ICBM missiles. Uh, and, 
you know, this was claimed to be some sort of Chinese spy balloon. That was the name. That was the story that the media ran with: the Chinese spy balloon spotted over Montana, something to that effect. And of course, we understand things in on, in this space in terms of the cult of American democracy, which means that a story like this has to get siphoned through that prism as well. And so for the cults of American democracy, nothing could be better than a story like this because it gives everybody a chance. It gives the politicians and the media class a chance to pontificate. And, of course, I'm pontificating on the story as well as a content creator. It's not a matter of uh, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say they're wrong. I'm just or I'm going to explain why they're wrong, but they're not wrong to speak. They're wrong to uh, they're wrong to buy into the narrative. And so, like, you know, somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I who I like in some respects, um, and I will say she's very good at, I think, capturing the um she's very good at capturing the sentiment of millions of americans and especially millions of conservative americans who especially over the over the lockdowns and the election of 2020 really came to question their government far more than they ever had in the past so i don't so i don't i don't want it to be disparaging but you know i disagree with her on a lot sometimes on her takes of things and i can remember marjorie taylor green tweeting out about how somebody should shoot down the balloon now was she serious about that no could a bullet go up that high maybe um, but it would have to be pretty powerful. Uh, does that mean, you know, but it's something, it's good for the ether, it's good for Twitter, it's good for the spectacle, right? The political theater of our system, which again, here we talk about it in terms of the cults of American democracy in particular, because the, the, anyway, without defining the term too broadly, I've done it pretty well throughout the, uh, throughout different episodes. Um, I should do, I should do something standalone on it. But of course we saw this story, and, and so you generally saw in the, in the default right, you know, the default conservative uh, position was very much one aghast, and they took it, I think, rightfully so, in some respects, as an as an attack on American foil, foreign uh, on American soil, right, from a foreign power, right. Here was this ostensible spy balloon that the Chinese government then recognized and said it was theirs, and said they'd be very upset if we shot it down. And so all of a sudden we find out that this thing is visible and that pilots almost run into it as it's flying. And people go and, you know, so people on the right, I think, you know, correctly so, got upset about that. And I think people on the left, basically what their position ended up being was the administration is on this. If they say that it can go across the country, it can go across the country. Of course, immediately after it hit the immediately after it hit the country and it hit the Atlantic. The Air Force was told to intercept it, and I think that's going to be we're we're going to kind of come back to that. But what happened afterwards in the media landscape, and you might not have seen every single one of these stories, and of course you might not even have seen the stories that came up today. Uh, you know, I think these were all these all were written last week. Last week, when as I'm recording this, being uh, Valentine around Valentine's Day, 2023, so February, you know, 14th, 17th, and the uh so so there's some updates to the story but but that was kind of the thing is it was spent now that, that was the interesting thing too about this being a balloon it was something it was a weekend story and so it was something because of the speed of it namely a slow speed it um it had some longevity uh far more so which is great for a 24-hour news cycle on cable news and also on a place like twitter 
Now there, and everybody again pontificates and is giving their position. So some other positions that were talked about is how this is just a distraction and you shouldn't worry about it. Um, that the Chinese wouldn't really be using this for spying, so it's largely inconsequential. And I think those people are foolish. Now, for some of that, it comes from a good place. It comes from a place of not wanting to escalate tensions with a country like China. And I can understand that sentiment very well. However, I do think.、Um, I don't. I think. I think that's where. I think that's where you can. There's some short-sightedness because, just be, because you, people like that are obsessed with. In particular, they're obsessed with, kinet, what we can call kinetic warfare. Kinetic warfare being conventional warfare: guns, bombs, bullets.、Uh, you know, people, two sides squaring off in various forms of combat, physical combat. We've talked about this a little bit on the show, but that's actually not just what. Uh, there's also like there's a war of ideas as well that we live in currently, and I think the the age our age in particular with social media and with our with access to these technologies has amplified that in a way that most people can't process. Which is again, especially as a premium subscriber, you understand that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the show is give people a better way of 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 interpreting that, kind of utilizing some some tools and tricks, and so this would be one of them. So. Immediately afterwards, over the weekend, th- that next weekend, suddenly we then had all of these.、Uh, we we had multiple reports from the Air Force. They were they closed airspace, jets were scrambled.、Uh, Justin Trudeau or you know authorized the U.S. to take down some、uh, to take down one of these objects, and、uh, and then the same thing happened with Biden. And kind of going to work on Monday, right? And everyone's kind of like, "Hey, did you see? Did you see that? What's up with that?" You know, there was a lot of contemplation about whether or not there were UFOs involved. Blah 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 blah. Well, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get into a little bit this a little bit more on one of the next podcast episodes that I'm probably gonna also record tonight. But like, our brains are pattern recognition machines. So when you're primed to when you're primed for something, you will tend to notice it more. One easy one easy example of this is you tend to notice your make and model of car. Even in different colors on the road, more so than your own,、um, you might recognize, you know, a pair of shoes or a bag or you know a jacket that you that on other people that you might have because it's something that you own. This is to put it to make it very simple. This is like part of how our brains work is pattern recognition because if you can extract because when you extrapolate from a pattern, you know, you can do more complicated things. I guess you would say, right?、I'm, so. Because we were all primed to talk about balloons, suddenly we were finding balloons everywhere, and you know this is just a narrative and pure speculation. I'm trying, but but this is how I kind of make sense of a story like this. And I kind of told people, I was like, well, you know, with all the crazy stuff, it kind of. So there, there have been reports that this had happened before, and of course, I think the administration understood that there wasn't that much more information. Something like this could take、uh, over a over what they can do with satellites currently, and whatever espionage China is engaged with on the ground. So, so it, they could just leave these alone and track them, and maybe even siphon some of the data that comes off of it, and still gain. At the very least, it's a it's a ta- it's a tactical wash. Right, if they can track it and know everything it looks at, because with with these with these balloons, until and unless the story gets out in the public, and then people are freaking out because why would the government allow this to happen? Which is, I think, the biggest reason why a country like China sends something like that out to begin with. Right, like this was not this had nothing to do with actual the 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 advantages in what happened, and that's what we're going to kind of get into here. So because we're all primed. 
and we're pattern recognition machines, suddenly then you might go through. So like I happened to go to an aeronaut, uh, an airplane museum. The uh, it was I was in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, for the weekend for work and so i the air force museum is there so i went and it was it was a good time it wasn't something that i was like expecting to do but i enjoyed it and one of the things that they had there was actually in world war ii the imperial imperial japan did the same thing with explosions now i'm sure if you're from like the pacific northwest where most of these explosions went off you would have a, a stronger memory of this i'm sure it was taught in a history book but it was something i had forgotten over the years and it wasn't something that i had th- thought of but because i was surrounded because i was in a museum so i was paying attention to these sorts of things and i was also reading about the balloon i thought that in particular was very very interesting where maybe another time that i go i wouldn't have thought it it wouldn't have seemed so pertinent Right, that's the pattern recognition, and so if something seems like it keeps happening, there your brain naturally wants is going to assume that that has some sort of importance. We might say. So then we have this: we have these stories of literally scrambling jets, spending millions of dollars, um, shooting missiles at these unexplained objects in the sky, and everybody kind of again, everyone was speculating with what they might have been. It sounded to me, and I kind of said this, I was like, well, it's almost like Biden said after that, it's like, you know, this isn't good for my ratings, so you better shoot anything else down that comes this way. And of course, again, if you if you were just paying attention, you don't know if you don't pay attention to these things and very few people pay attention to anything. Right. That's you know, that's one of the cool things about the world, as you realize as you go on. Um, But, you know, apparently one of the objects that were shot down was it was uh, it was like hobbyist balloons, right? And so like these so students and scientists and hobbyists put these balloons up for various sorts of experiments that one can do. I guess uh, in particular the one the story that I was reading is that it was out of like Illinois, and this this balloon had circled the Earth six times. I think the story said it had circled the Earth six times, and. You know, nobody had ever noticed that the government hadn't scrambled any jets about it because it wasn't something people were paying attention to. Well, now we're in an environment, not only an environment in terms of like the media, media story. This has reached the highest levels of government and speculating maybe some sort of order was given to treat every single every single profile like this, namely a balloon, as a possible danger. So now it's coming out, and they've been slowball. They've been slowballing the story. It was interesting, in particular. I wanted to point this out in the NPR piece that I was reading that kind of started with this. Was, of course, what they set up is you know should you shoot down a balloon, and oh silly don't. And then the story kind of unfolds of like oh silly don't you know that you know, don't you know that these this happens all the time, and so like you know who would who would actually think to shoot down a balloon? Well, who would who would be so stupid as to own a gun? Of course, it's a conservative. It's a right winger. It's a, somebody who likes the American Constitution, right? Because you're a bad because you're a bad guy in, in in the popular narrative. So, so that was just kind of an interesting like sub subplot inside of the pieces they set it up because they're trying to explain why the government you know spent a fifteen million dollar missile I think or some of the reports that I've seen on blowing up a hobbyist's balloon. Well, again, I'm not saying that I know exactly what happened. What I am saying is that that this was something done intentionally. This is perhaps, in some respects, even better than what China would than than uh, than whatever intel China could possibly get on our ICBM uh, ICBM locations and and where they are. Because at the end of the day, if you launch the if you launch the nukes, you launch the nukes. It's an end, it's the end game, right? 
So what happens in the interim? Well, it's the information war, folks. That's that's the truth of the matter. It is what what's been entitled in some respects fifth generational warfare. Right? It's this concept that war between nations, between ideologies, between belief systems, between different people of faith, really, I would say. That those people that that <laughs> That, that war can also be ideological, and in fact is ideological. Now, it's not a place that I want to be, but it's the place we find ourselves in. And so that's why, you know, yeah, you can downplay, you can downplay some of the, the traditional militaristic respects of, of what the Chinese can do, but I think in particular this does show a weakness in the American administration, because now they have to backpedal this. They're not confirming that they've done that they've done this. They're not even owning up to the fact that they made a mistake. And I think that's um, it's it's symbolic it's it's emblematic and it's symbolic of where the power of the United States is on the global scale. And it's important that we kind of recognize that so we can understand what's coming next in politics. So I hope you enjoyed this video. Um, if you can, share share the page with a friend, especially you as a premium subscriber. Help the mission of Better Sense Making grow. I do appreciate your support. And uh, yeah, until next time, LB Muniz signing off. What's up, everybody? It's LB Muniz from BenAwake.com. Uh, once again, and as always, thank you, whoever's watching this video right now, because if you're watching this, it means you're a premium subscriber. It means you believe in the mission of better sense making, and it means you were willing to buy me dinner. Uh, you were willing to part with your hard-earned dollars to spend, uh, you know, the cost of a dinner on uh, the premium content, and so that's why I want to make sure I'm always serving you guys first going forward. And this video series... The goal is to make it daily, or at least every weekday. Um, and kind of like I said in the last one, these might end up getting put out in audio form either as standalone episodes or combined into a secondary premium podcast every single week. So anyway, these are supposed to be quick thoughts, hot takes. And I thought in particular, you know, sometimes there's uh, there are fun stories on Twitter that I don't necessarily want to comment on in a, lar in a longer show. A lot of times when I do my podcast, I like to try and... Uh, I like to try and find a story line that, that connects what might even seem like stories that aren't even connected to each other. Um, so that's something I like to try and do. And so sometimes, sometimes like a, a story that I want to comment on doesn't fit into that. And so that's kind of why, and, uh, and frankly, the kind of content that I like to consume these days isn't always the hour long. I like, uh, you know, I kind of consume a lot more of the 15 to 20 minute snap, uh, snap stuff, something like this. Um, so anyway, so that's kind of the idea behind this video series, and like I said, it's for premium subscribers, uh, at least the video, maybe, you know, maybe the pod, maybe the second podcast is is free for people. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, but anyway, at the very least, I wanted to try and take maybe some, like, spicier, you know, to use, to use, like, a modern jargon, but, like, some of my spicier, hotter takes that might be considered controversial in some circles, um, will will we'll kind of find their way here and a lot of times too we'll focus on you know we're, uh, we'll, we'll focus on media analysis see that is just as we're starting from the ground up just so you understand for as lofty a philosophical ambition as i might have for this project that doesn't mean we're going to ignore popular stories there is a tendency and i am a victim of i i am a i wouldn't say a victim of this i'm a i'm just as much of a propagator for this as other people might be um 
is to is to kind of like bemoan a pop story or like a, a story that doesn't really have a lot of substance to it. And I think there are reasons why we like stories like that. And one of the reasons why is if it's a really big problem, it's actually difficult to solve. So there's not much you can do with a big problem, right? In fact, or it goes the opposite direction and you and a big problem completely takes over every part of your life. But especially I think people who we can who we would classify as not left wing, right? Those of us who are for whatever reason or another considered the right. Uh, one thing that's one thing that mar- that's different, I think, from from what could be considered a broad scope in the left in, in leftism is like all everybody who's on the left is like down for the cause, which I talked about in one of my recent episodes, uh, longer episodes, which you can go and listen to there. But versus people on the right tend to be far more about like localism and about trying to fix yourselves and fix your communities and fix your families. And so I think there's I think there's something. And my point here is that there's something temperamental to that. Um, there's something like, you know, it, it has a biological basis for that uh, asymmetry in perception. But, and I think, again, part of it kind of driving towards the story and why we're, we're, we're attracted to these, like, sometimes I call them like cotton candy stories. Because cotton candy seems really big until you eat it and then all the sugar just dissolves in your mouth. So, you know, so sometimes with these cotton candy stories, we have to take them for what they are. But that doesn't mean we can't have some fun with them. Um, and, you know, there is an entertainment value to media, which is why, which is why everybody consumes the content they assume. I, um, I constantly find myself scrolling on the timelines and seeing other people and just, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't have time for misanthropy, personally. I'm not saying I don't get down on myself and down on the world sometimes. But when I'm in my right state of mind and when I'm trying to produce, it's always, it's, it's, even if it's a heavy subject, it's trying to be positive. Now, we're not going to cover a heavy subject today, or at least I don't think for, for my audience this isn't a heavy subject, but it is an important subject, and it, uh, and it, and it affects the, what, you know, what we would consider to be the broader, uh, the broader culture wars in this, in this, uh, in this day we find ourselves in. And um, it's, we're going to watch really quickly here, we're going to watch a video s- uh, segment, a clip that was put out by Matt Walsh that takes aim at D- Dylan Mulvaney. Now, you might ask yourself, like I did, who exactly is Dylan Mulvaney? Well, Dylan Mulvaney is a trans individual, so there's somebody who was born male and is now and now identifies as female. Um, and they are they have put themselves out there on TikTok in uh, such a way talking, like kind of chronicling every single day of their transition, I guess. Um, there's a few, you know, if you were to go through, there's a few like kind of cringe ones. I think I can remember seeing one that was like, this person, Dylan was like excited to go buy tampons because that was super exciting to them. Um, funny to point out and not even funny to point out, but it's worth pointing out. And this is something that you're going to start seeing more. Um, and it's still been there, but you're going to start seeing this more, uh, this, uh, as the trans issue becomes more prominent and probably through 2024, you're going to see this word autogynephilia come up. Um, basically it's the fetishization of like, it's, it's a man who's turned on by the fact that they are dressed like a woman and my contention and the content and then this contention would be shared by some other people, um, would be that a lot of, a lot of what the modern trans movement is supposedly about or, or the, you know, as far as a lot of the prominent people within it has far more to do with autogynephilia than it does with gender dysphoria per se. 
So for better or worse, this person, Dylan, has chronicled their transition into quote-unquote womanhood um, over the course of, I don't know, 200-something days, get, getting themselves an interview with the President of the United States, Joe Biden. So I want to make sure we establish that ground floor because there is something to be said, even if it's on a platform like TikTok, and I'm not taking aim at a pages like libs of TikTok who just take publicly available information and curate, curate it for other people here. But there is something, there is something to be said that as a writer, um, as a commentator, not an aggregator, as a writer and a commentator, so, which is what Matt Walsh is, right? Matt Walsh isn't known for his video editing abilities or his ability to create, his, he's known for writing and doing a podcast, right? So this Dylan Mulvaney person has gotten themselves to such a high position that they've been able to land an interview with the President of the United States, Joe Biden. So this isn't some private citizen that a commentator is taking aim at. That, to me, would be in poor taste. You might have heard me not join with the other people because the root of what he's saying, I think, is solid, as we're going to get into here, but certainly uh, have a little more sympathy because there's this... So basically his comments, you might have seen them, you might not have. We're going to watch the video here in a second. Uh, sparked a huge controversy um, because he got a little uh, mean with... Uh, he got a little... It was, it's not even mean. I don't even know if that's really the word that I want to use, but you watch it with me here and we'll go through it. Dylan... If that is the most attractive you will ever look, then I don't even want to imagine what you'll look like when you're at your ugliest. You do not pass as, a, as an attractive woman or as a woman at all. Uh, even with 50 pounds of makeup and plastic surgery and clever lighting tricks, even then you still cannot escape what you really are and what you will always be. You have successfully shed whatever parts of you were masculine, perhaps, at least on the surface. Nobody would ever describe you as masculine or manly, so you've got that going. But your femininity quotient has not increased at a rate commensurate with the loss of your masculinity. Um, you may not be masculine, but you also aren't feminine. Instead, you are, you are weird and artificial. You are manufactured and lifeless. You are unearthly and eerie. You are like some kind of human deep fake. That's what you are. You are a man deprived of all the best qualities of men, but without any of the best qualities of women. Even your personality is contrived. Everything about you is fake. Nothing about you rings true. Nobody buys the act. You'll never be accepted as a woman by anyone. Never by anyone. Even the people who pretend to accept you as a woman are only pretending because they're afraid of being lectured if they don't. Or because they want to use you as a platform to virtue signal. But everyone who looks at you will see something pitiable and bizarre, something utterly unfeminine in every way. You will never be able to actually have the identity that you're trying to appropriate, nor will you ever be able to fully escape the identity that you're fleeing. The best you can hope for is some kind of limbo, the worst of all worlds. And yet, even in that limbo state, you will still be a man. Just not one that any of us can respect or take seriously. But other than that, champ, you're doing great. Dylan, if that is... So there you have it. That's the uh, crazy Matt Walsh for you, I guess. I, um, he, you know, he has a bit of a reputation of being a, a jerk, if you will. 
Um, I think that's, I don't think that's unfair. And in fact, I think even he would agree to that in a certain form. Uh, but I don't really, I mean, I, I retweeted this and I kind of said, I, I don't really see this as him being that much of a jerk. It's tough. Don't get me wrong. It's a very tough, it's, it's a, <laughs> you know, somebody, if I was somebody like that and somebody said that to me, you know, I, I probably wouldn't take it well. But it did remind me of those times. It really did. It reminded me of those times in my life when somebody, when I wasn't, you know, doing so well, and somebody looked at me and kind of just said, you know, this isn't working. You need to, you need to fix this. You need to get better. There's no, there's no going back. There's no changing. It was not what I wanted to hear at the time, but it was still the right thing to say. And because sometimes you can say something that's heartfelt and you can, but it, but it hurts the other person. See, there's this obsession with safety that, that pervades the modern leftist mind. And I would, I would argue that it's something that's, it's a natural inclination that's been hijacked by ideologues, which is what makes it so pernicious. And so people confuse the idea of somebody saying something that might hurt you in the moment with being literally unsafe. We don't need to we don't need to unpack the entire diatribe about sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me and how kids you know, kids today are snowflakes and blah blah blah. We don't need to unpack that for the purposes of this conversation. But honestly, I watched that video and I thought he could have been a lot meaner. <laughs> I, I, tr truthfully, I, I really I really watched something like that and I and I thought he could have been a lot meaner in, in that video. Now I wasn't, that wasn't exactly what everybody was agreeing. Now, not everybody agrees with me. And we're going to, for this, for the purposes of this video, because I don't want to make it too incredibly long, for this segment, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to, we're not going to adjudicate what the left says about this, because really, this video isn't about what the left would say to this. Because what Matt Walsh isn't doing in this video is he's not signaling to the left at all. He is being unapologetically anti-left dogma. He is entirely opposing the cult of diver diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is, for all intents and purposes, taking it to the woke in this clip. Because something that I've, I've heard people who survived Soviet Russia and other communist regimes say, it wasn't about what you believed, but it was about what you were willing to say. It wasn't about what you believed. It was about what you were willing to say. A true tyrant, somebody, uh, you know, the, the, truly con the, the truly tyrannical leader, by tyranny we mean against the, you know, natural order, they don't care what you believe, right? The, a good leader cares what you believe. A good leader wants to make sure that the people who are under them buy into the mission that they're all engaged in. That's what a good leader does. That's not what a bad leader does. A bad leader doesn't care what you believe. The bad leader cares what you do for them. And so if they say you have to look at someone like Dylan Mulvaney, and maybe I'll throw up a picture here so people can get an idea for what they look like. If you would, 
if you don't if you don't accept that they're a beautiful woman we saw this with when kate when bruce jenner became caitlin jenner right caitlin jenner wins woman of the year all he had to do was you know all bruce jenner had to do to win one more award and be loved by the masses was to change his gender is that really for somebody who's super rich is that really so much of an imposition especially when all when it's seemingly all the upside for Christ's sake, Caitlyn Jenner is on Fox News. So Matt Walsh, in my in my view of this video, he sits down and he looks at Dylan man to man and he points it out and he says exactly what it is. You may have stripped yourself of, of what you perceive to be masculinity, but that doesn't mean that you've achieved femininity beyond beyond the most <laughs> insulting, truly, beyond the most insulting of caricatures of the fairer sex, as it were. So what was interesting, like I said, was the reaction. Almost invariably, the reaction fell from what I could see, and I'm not saying there weren't women who agreed with Matt Walsh, but it seemed to me that, for the most part, your, you know, your straight men were pretty much all on the same page. Saying like, ah, you know, I might have said something, I might have said it a little bit differently, but honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, pretty shooting straight. It wasn't that insulting with the exception of like maybe saying champ at the end. But again, Matt Walsh is a writer. This is kind of what he does. There's an entertainment quality to what he puts out, just like any of us do. And so what your critics do is they exploit that when it's convenient and then forget about it when it's also convenient for them. You've stripped yourself of everything that of what you perceive to be masculine, but you haven't really, truly achieved femininity. And why should he have? It, it, by my count, it hasn't even been a year since since this individual has claimed to be a woman. Something womanhood, I would argue, and I wouldn't know, give being a man, but womanhood is something that it takes a lifetime to understand. Femininity, much much as it does take for masculinity. And so we should we should be able to filter out these sorts of people, the people like Dylan Mulvaney. We should be able to filter them out from our society. Instead, because of the progressive ethos, which is, you know, a reinterpretation of the liberal ethos, instead, we're told we must center and elevate this person. Person who's clearly, I don't know, who's clearly not the brightest bulb in the, in the shed. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean Dylan Mulvaney can't give off light. I'm just not. I'm just saying. If I was given the choice, I would choose something maybe a little bit brighter. Certainly, if we're going to talk about interviewing the president of the United States, but again, that's just my bias coming through in this situation. And really, it's not a. And what what always what invariably happens in these situations, it's actually not about somebody like Dylan. It's about the fact that somebody like Dylan can reach the point that they have and can be elevated up by a media apparatus and, you know, for whatever reason. This person chose to enter the spotlight. They didn't choose to transition in, in anonymity to become something new. No, they wanted to be the center of attention, and now they are, which makes them fair game from a media perspective. So I'll echo what Matt Walsh said in this video. Someone like that, might you might take a second look but once you get a good look at Dylan, you know he's not a woman. It's just the reality of the situation.
It is, there are very few people with gender dysphoria who will ever reach a point to where they can legitimately and consistently pass for the opposite sex. That's one of the reasons why, that's one of the reasons why sex changes have been around for a long time, but they're not exactly the most, they're not exactly the most common, they weren't as common as they are today. I would argue, in fact, as well, that's one of the reasons, you know, that's one of the reasons why drag was considered separated from trans for the longest time, whereas now it seems to be always conflated. Again, I think that's useful. Maybe we'll get into that another time. So anyway, just wanted to make sure you guys had seen that video. He has come out and said, and you know what, actually, it's worth, it's worth, it's worth belaboring uh, this for just one more minute, because he has come out and said he doesn't give a crap about the conservatives and the people on the right who, has said, who have complained about his tone. And he's exactly right, because you don't, you don't own the libs by getting them to agree with you. Because if they agreed with you, they wouldn't be libs. You understand? People, these, these, the, the left has already bought into this narrative. There's, you can't save that many of them. And you can't be worried about sacrificing their sacred cows when you don't believe that the, that, that thing is holy. See, in, in part, one of the reasons why trans, the trans in particular, are so, are so much a part of this, of this modern woke cult of diversity, equity, and inclusion has to do with the fact that they blur um, the blur the lines. So we're going to use, once again, Charles Haywood's definition for leftism. It's maximal liberation, maximal egalitarianism. It's the idea that everything is equal, everything is the same, but also that everything must be freed from itself. That's his definition of leftism. It's the best one I've ever heard. Beyond that, we also understand the idea, we also understand that queerness, the study of queerness, and that it's been turned into a dominant school of thought that, 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 that permeates the universities, is about exploring identity without an essence. So somebody who moves beyond that which is the most basic element of your being, right, your, your biological sex, that thing that has been determined since you were, for, since you first started to form in your mother's womb, or really, no, from the moment of conception. When that one sperm reaches the egg and the one millionth of a chance that ended up being you or whatever the actual odds are. Right? Something so essential to who you are as a person. When somebody trans... When somebody moves beyond that, when they, when they relieve themselves of that essence of their identity, they, be, they engage in queerness. They become the holy thing... In this religion, in this religion, in this cult of diversity, equity, and inclusion, in the culture of the woke. And that's one of the reasons why trans is so central to this and why it is why you have to stand firm and you have to be willing to be, you have to be willing to be yelled at, I guess. You have to be willing to take on the scorn of people who don't understand this. You have to be strong. You, you, can, be, you can be kind, but you have to be strong. And certainly rhetorically, you can't give an inch in this manner. People like Dylan are not women. You can maybe create a... You, if you want, you can create a category for them. That's fine. They're not going to have children. They're not going... You know, they can't conceive. They, they, they're not women. Because at the end... Because, again, to stand up against tyranny is to say the truth. As far as you see it. <laughs>
What is up, everybody? It is LB Muniz from the Binawake Podcast for Better Sense Making here with a what? Quick hit update. We're gonna cover a quick. We're gonna cover a story. There's a crazy video that went around Twitter recently from El Salvador that I thought it would be worthwhile for us to watch and to talk about a little bit. So if you haven't seen this video or if you don't know what's been going on in El Salvador, they recently elected a new president who last year declared a state of emergency because of the crime epidemic that occurs in that country. Now, if you also didn't know, El Salvador is the home of the uh, traditional um, uh, of, of the MS-13 gang, which is which has a reputation of being one of the most notorious and uh, also one of the more deadly um, gangs that operate uh, not only not only in El Salvador but also here in the United States. Now I'll be honest with you, there was I I, I had kind of forgotten that they were El Salvador, and I'd watched an interview recently with Chris Williamson. Uh, recently, I say it was like within the last eight months, which I, I'll, I'll I'll put that in the links on the video. It was really really interesting. He interviewed a journalist that um, was embedded with the MS13 cartel. And so if you're interested in learning more about like the culture of, of this criminal enterprise or um, what have you, you can go and check that out. But, uh, but so this guy's name, Naib, uh, how would you say? Yeah, Naib Bukele, he is, the, uh, he is the current president of El Salvador, as you can see on, the, on his Twitter profile here. And he tweeted out, uh, just a few days ago, hoy en la madrugada en el solo operativo trans, uh, trasladamos a los primeros dos mil pandilleros al centro de confinamiento de terismo. Esta será su nueva casa donde vivir donde vivirán por décadas mezclada sin poder hacerle más daño a la población. Seguimos. And then with the hashtag guerra contra padillas. So if you don't speak Spanish, what he's saying is. Uh, what he's saying is that today at dawn, in a single operation, they transferred 2,000 prisoners, gang members, to the Center for the Confinement of Terrorists. This will be their new home. They will live there for decades, mixed together, unable to do any more harm to the population. Sagan then seguimos is like, we continue, we persevere, we're, you know, we're going we're to keep going. So because of the, um, I, don't, I don't have the stat handy, Let's, uh, but I have my laptop right next to me here. El Salvador murder rate. I know they have one of the highest murder rates. 7.8 homicides per 100 people. Um, it's saying here, this is a Bloomberg report, and more than 50 per 100,000 in 2018. So this is an article from two days ago. So over the last year, since this guy has been put into office, they've uh they uh, that's how far that's how far that the murder rate's fallen it's fallen from 50 per 100,000 people in 2018 to 7.8 and uh, i guess that would be 2022 would be the year for that we might and and i'm not going to pretend to be an expert on el salvador by by any stretch of the imagination but there was there was a state of emergency declared in the country to try and handle this homicide and this gang problem and the big basically what they've done similar to what uh, Duarte did in the Philippines is basically just throw people in prison um, and so that's I guess the idea behind this uh, behind this major um, uh, behind this place what are they calling it the centro de confinamiento the confinamiento de terrorismo the the, the confinement center for terrorists. So they're not calling these guys gang members, they're calling them terrorists and they're putting them all in the same place. So allegedly, 
this prison can host up to 40,000 inmates. And that is the plan, is to basically just dump uh, all of these inmates together. Now, it's MS-13 and there's another one which is like DS-18. So that's what that the part where he says... So you're going to live here for decades mixed together. They're mixing the gangs together. They're giving no concern for the fact that, you know, you might be put next to somebody whose block you tried to blow up recently. I think this video, and we're going to play it here and kind of go over some of the, the elements of it. First off, the video, we're going to go ahead and start playing it now. The video is incredibly well produced, right? Like a lot of shots... They, you know, they've got the, they've got the, you can hear like the pulsing music in the background of them going through. And what you witness is you see a bunch of men not wearing shirts. Almost all of them have shaven heads and they're all wearing long white boxers. They all, now you might be wondering why all these guys have their hands kind of behind their head like this. This is what's known as a stress position. And they use it in, they use it in other countries, especially. You don't see it as much in the United States. But you use it in other countries as a way to keep the prisoners there. So you use something like this. You use this. Uh, you use this method so that the prisoner's head stays down, so that they don't see what they're going. They're not looking at the guards. And moreover, it's also a way. It's also just a reinforcement mechanism that they are well prisoners, right? You then also see in this video again a lot of lights. You know, we have all these changing shots, which means that they had a lot of cameras going at once to get these angles. They get loaded onto these. They get loaded onto these buses, and then they get transported to this new new confinement center. Again, all very dramatic, very well produced. This is a great piece of propaganda. Um, just objectively speaking, this is a great piece of propaganda because, of course, part of what somebody uh, like the president of El Salvador is doing with this, given that he lives in a country that is, for all intents and purposes, largely and a lot of the times run by criminal elements, he's, he's signaling and showing to them that his administration isn't going to back down. At least that's what I can tell from this video. And by all accounts, he seems to be very, very popular in El Salvador because of this. Now, El Salvador is one of the poorest nations in Central America, as far as I, as far as I recognize. And as we're kind of watching this video here, we again, we see the number of buses that are used at once. And again, you see a stress position used here again, right? His head is down. He is in the guard is in complete control. And this is done to make sure they don't see where they're going and also to make sure that they don't try and fight. And what's also interesting to see in this instance, okay, so now you see they're kind of like running down the chute and they're using this really, really high up drone footage. And then you get closer and you see that they have, they have stuff down their ankles and as well as their, as well as their backs being, uh, their hands being tied up behind, the handcuffed behind their back. And once again, as an effort to show their, well, they're basically treating them like cattle, right, in this video. And you're seeing them all put head together with their head, their foreheads resting against the guy's shoulders in front of them. And these are all mixed together. Keep in mind, some of the guys next to each other might be in a feud at this moment. That's the whole point of mixing these two gangs together. They could try to separate them out to where one gang outruns one, one crew, uh, runs one prison, another one runs another one. So there's, again, we kind of end on this huge shot of uh, this huge shot of this new massive prison. So what does this all mean? 
right? Why are we talking about this? How does this relate to like what comes next in politics? Well, first off, what we're seeing is we're seeing, you know, these Central and South American co countries, this at least this one in particular, standing up a little bit more to the gang element within there, doing it of their own accord, and frankly, not really caring what Western um what Western sources or so-called human rights uh, watch groups are care for in this in this instance, the prison itself doesn't even have mattresses. That's what's been reported about it. It's not even going to have mattresses. And I found I found myself thinking, as I watched this video and I reflected upon it, about our own prison industrial complex that we have here in the United States. And I went and the, what the question that we'll that we'll have to all look at right in that we watch this to see is whether El Salvador is going down the same path of having a prison industrial complex um, or uh, or or if they're going to go a different direction now I thought about talking about mass putting this in terms of mass incarceration but um, prison industrial complex is a much better way I think of looking at this issue why because ostensibly speaking if you have a lot of if you have a lot of bad guys, it does kind of make sense to put them all away and a, put them all in a cage away from the general population. There is a logic to that, and personally speaking, you know, as it relates to criminal uh, as it relates to criminal matters, I am a fan of, um, especially for the worst offenders, I am a fan of their being of them being removed from society. Uh, in terms of ostrich and in, 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 in being ostracized from a society, and when that's done, um, banishment. What's the other word? There's another word that'll come to me in a few minutes here. But basically, saying we want these guys to exile, exiling them from civil society. They should have no. There's really no reason why they should be mixed into walking around with the general population. You know, we've seen countless times recently, especially with recent bail reforms. We've seen countless times where criminal elements have been let back onto the street and they can and they, you know, and because they're criminals and they're people who commit crimes up to and including murder, you've seen murders occur because somebody who would have been in jail was put back on the street. Now, again, that doesn't change the fact that there is a problem in this country with the prison industrial complex which basically is just, you know, you have to put bodies into beds and so you, you keep going with petty crimes. We can delineate the difference between somebody. You know, actually, this is this is a good this is a good way of delineating it. Recently, you know, a lot of um, a lot of people who opposed the drug war were cheering at the fact that Joe Biden uh, pardoned all federal nonviolent drug offenders. My recollection, as we're sitting here talking, was that is that there was zero nonviolent drug offenders in the in the federal system. So it was kind of, it kind of like, it, it was, you know, it was a lot of hot air, which is to say that we can understand that some people get caught up in a system and, you know, it's tragic, but at the same time, most of the time when you enter into one of these gangs, you end up doing some pretty bad things because violence is how, violence is how they exert their control fundamentally. Now, there might be some elements out there, even some people watching this who would say, but don't you understand the state is just like a gang of criminals, and that's true, but it seems to be that the people of El Salvador are sick of one criminals and they're willing to go with another one. And so this, so even if you want to put them on the same footing, it doesn't matter. The question becomes who's going to be the one to, who's going to be the one to install order, the best kind of order. And I, you know, in a, I, I am curious to see whether this will work. 
I'm curious whether they're deceived by isolating these people from the population basically for their whole life. 40,000 people is probably is, is, is the size of many cities. 40,000 people is larger than many rural cities, frankly. There's a lot of places, a lot of cities in this country and around the world that are two, three, four, ten thousand people. So the fact that the fact that they built one of these, they're probably going to visit build more, seems to be that they are willing to try a, a real form of exile where these guys can live an uncomfortable existence, but an existence nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, in, away from the general population. Now we've already seen, and now, now I'm sure there are problems with this, I'm sure there are people getting scooped up, but it doesn't change the fact that there was, that there have been dramatic improvements. I mean, 50, 50 homicides per every 100 people, that's, that's a per capita, right? That's a per capita number. Let's see if we can quickly find something before we get out of here. Um, the murders the, from 7.8, like we said, uh, the state of exception has been our most effective tool in the fight of, against gangs. And that's uh, basically saying that the, the state of emergency. So reading this story from Bloomberg, El Salvador's Congress declared a state of emergency last year, granting authorities greater power to make arrests. Congress this month, month extended the use of emergency powers through March. Human rights organizations have criticized the lack of due process and transparency and the use of torture against detainees, but... Uh, President Nayib Bukele inaugurated a giant new prison. So this is talking about the story. The additional inmates would give the nation of 6 million, a, pop, a jail population of about 100,000 people. That compares to fewer than 40,000 people before the crackdown, according to data from World Prison Brief. So from the po- uh, so the nation so the nation's only 6 million and the j- and the jail population was less than 40,000, so it was less than the size of this prison, just to give you an idea of how, you know, people breaking the law weren't actually getting off the streets. He has 88% of Salvadorans saying they felt safe at the end of 2022 due to the state of emergency. And the same poll found surveyed that his president was an average score of 8.4 out of 10. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention, but there hasn't been an American president uh, that doing that well since probably the beginning of Obama's term would be my guess. Just just thinking about the numbers, so he has he, so this guy Naive has broad popular support. He has and he's taken extralateral actions that if, if they're if they're infringing upon due process, challenge the challenge the liberal ethos of what of how we should treat criminals. Now we we've kind of talked about a little bit of the history of the country to show that they might be a special case. So what will be interesting to see and what we'll pay attention to here is whether as the crime drops, if they let up any of the emergency provisions, if they if they attempt to um, if, if, you know, if if there is a positive change in effect that they don't start then trying to lock up people who are, in fact, innocent, which is which is very which is basically what's happened in the United States with the prison industrial complex in one form or another, in some instances, not in all. Of course, there are still real criminals that need to be removed from society. And this is the type of rhetoric that makes criminal justice reform people, um, I don't know, I guess it makes them uneasy, right? And people who think that it, it is interesting to me the way people will look at somebody in a prison and um, I, I can respect it in certain cases, but somebody will look at somebody in prison and think, oh, that's somebody that's just made mistakes in their life. Whereas 
for the for a lot of the people you i i would view it a different way i would say that they are people who have um made mistakes and done evil in their life and i guess the line there is between the guilty and innocent so i hope you guys enjoyed today's video if you did do me a favor, subscribe with your email address here at, been awake, here at the Been Awake Substack. You can go to beenawake.com to find me on all forms of social media and to uh, make sure that we're connected. And hey, if you really, really like this, consider buying me dinner and becoming a premium subscriber. All the information is going to be below and premium subscribers get access to the transcript for these conversations. So once again, LB Muniz, beenawake.com. We'll see you next time. All right, guys. Hey, listen, I hope you enjoyed all of those segments. Like I said, those were Substack exclusive videos. Make sure you're subscribed to the Substack. And hey, if you would do me the favor, go follow me on all forms of social media at the LB Muniz. like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.